Good evening. Nice to see you all. I am grateful uh, to Brighton Road um, when I was in Crawley because it was through uh, David Richardson who uh, sent uh, uh, some members of your church to help out when we were having problems with the music and David's mother Sheila came on a regular basis with her husband and um, Ted Streeter who I see quite often um, came to who is Ted here? Is, ah, Ted. I didn't know you were here Ted but that awesome. I'm grateful for your friendship and all the hard work you did in the church uh, until recently so, so <clears throat> and I know Julie Shimizu very well and uh, I was at college with Nick Lear so there is that connection Well, thank you very much, um, Deborah, for leading, leading us into God's presence with uh, your team, three. And uh, you're very much blessed by this evening. And uh, very, a lot of hard work you put into that worship, too. So we're really blessed, and I hope everybody else is, is too. So uh, Tim has chosen um, <clears throat> light for the subject of this evening. Uh, and he's chosen Genesis 1, 1 to 4. Where God brought light into the world and Psalm 36. And of course, Jesus bringing the gospel of light. And that was a, a very powerful video, despite the American accents. I, uh, I enjoyed that video. It just reminds us of the power of God's creation. And you can't really help be, but not be moved when you see those images of the earth uh, in such... Um, dramatic uh, setting as we saw tonight the creator creates creation and it affirms that God has a powerful purpose for his creation it's not careless or casual or accidental but God clearly saw that it was, he was pleased with it. And it says, and God saw that it was good. And I, that was the subject of this morning's uh, sermon, I understand. And God saw that it was good. And the creation of light is absolutely vital. The sun gives off light and heat. And we need, we need both to make the earth a warm, comfortable place to live. And plants use light from the sun for photosynthesis, creating food for animals and oxygen for us to breathe. Sunlight makes our day bright, as we've been experiencing recently. Well, perhaps you're fed up with too much heat. But today was a real blessing as well, as far as I was concerned. I'm sure you could join me there as well. So... Um, Day one, verse one, God separates the light from the dark. And we can set this in parallel with day four, in which God makes the light bearers, the sun and the moon, to rule over the day and the night. So we, the first thing is we delight in the light, the light of creation. Now just how God created the earth is a subject of great debate and I'm not a scientist. In fact, I didn't even get O-level physics. So I'm not a person to tell you how he created this 
uh, universe. But others have tried and attempted to explain it. Some said there was a sudden explosion and the universe appeared. And others say God started the process over billions of years. But every, almost every ancient uh, Near East religion has their own version of creation. And almost every scientist has their own opinion of how the earth came to be. But I don't know how he did it, but God created the earth out of his great love. And that's the thing we have to remember when we see creation, the love that he poured into it. And of course he put us as a special place in it. But that's a subject for another sermon. The writer of Genesis isn't concerned how he did it. We might want to know why he created the light and then he created the sun and the moon. Have you ever thought about that? Perhaps you have, perhaps you haven't. But the author doesn't say how he did it. But there's no conflict between creation and scientific research. Now the late Stephen Hawkins, who um, would not describe himself as a Christian, even though others might think he he did, Um, but he said, Einstein was wrong when he said, God does not play dice. Now, he was an expert on black holes, and he says, not only did God, does God play dice, but that sometimes confuses us by throwing them where they can't be seen. So, in other words, he was saying, he doesn't know how the universe was created, even though he was a professor in black holes. In fact, he was asked the question on why the universe exists. And he said, if we know that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason. For then we would know the mind of God. So that one is open as far as he was concerned. But we don't worship nature. Now I'm sure like, um, I'm sure most of us like have a favourite place we like to go on holiday or a, a regularly attend, go to a place of, of, of beauty. And in fact, um, I, I live um, quite near Tilgate Park, which is on my doorstep. So quite often I go on my bike on a, on a morning and get some exercise. Uh, whether it's winter or summer, it is a beautiful place, especially early in the morning before the dog walkers are out. It is absolutely beautiful. But I don't worship nature. As Christians, we worship the Creator. Now, many of the nations around uh, worshipped nature, but Israel was different. Now, although the Psalms testify to the greatness uh, of, of the world we live in and God the Creator, um, they worshipped him not as always creator, but as deliverer. And that's the thing about Israel as a nation. They worshipped the creator who was the deliverer, who brought them out of Egypt. So in, in other words, in a sense, other nations worshipped nature, but Israel worshipped the creator, a God of deliverance. 
He was a God of nature, but he was a God of history as well. And that was the important thing about Israel. In fact, the Bible doesn't talk about nature, but about creatures. And a creature points to a creator. And nature just is. But our creator God is awesome. He created all things. And one of the most important teachers in the Bible um, about um, creation is that it establishes the relationship between God and everything else. Now Genesis has no place for what's called pantheism, which means that God is part of everything. You name it, he's part of it. But God creates a distinction between himself as creator and creation. Other cultures, other religions in the ancient Near East worship the sun, moon and stars. The God of Genesis created them and indeed created light itself. Now Nicky Gumbel has said on the 20th of August 1977 Voyager 2 the interplanetary probe launched to observe and transmit to Earth data about our planetary system set out from Earth travelling faster than the speed of a bullet 90,000 miles per hour and on the 28th of August 1989 it reached planet Neptune 2,700 miles from the Earth Voyager 2 then left the solar system it will not come back within one light year of any star for 958,000 years. Our galaxy is one of 1,000 million galaxies. And in a throwaway line in Genesis, the writer tells us, and he also made the stars. Such is his power. That is the God we worship. We worship tonight. And the second thing is we're blessed from the light of his very being. And Psalm 36 was read by Deborah. And the first in verse 9. For you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Now God creates by calling the world into being. In Revelation it says you are worthy our Lord and God. To receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we give glory to God for his creation. In Genesis 1, verse 1 to 5, it says and, uh, that God created the word by the power of his word. And it keeps repeating the phrase, and God said... And God said. That's a very powerful statement. Now the other nations worship gods. Baal, Ashtoreth. There's so many different gods. And sometimes the kings of Israel went off beam. And they worship these gods from time to time. But God is not capricious. He's a jealous God. 
but he's not like those other gods. And right at the beginning, right in Genesis, right at the start, you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit involved <coughs> in creation. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of chaos. And there's lots of Old Testament references to the creative attributes of God. And in the New Testament, we also see in 1 Corinthians, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come and from whom we live. Now Paul in Corinthians is talking about the Father and the Son and the act of creation, yet distinguishes between them. The Father has the more prominent part in creation. The Son is through whom it was carried out. As we read in the New Testament in John 1 in Hebrews, it refers to the Son as the Lord who founded the earth in the beginning. And the Spirit, as I mentioned, was active too in Genesis. And it's not a conflict between the three. So here we see the, what we know as the Trinity working together. It's a bit like building a house. In one sense, it's the, um, it's the architect, isn't it, who designs it. It's his house. He creates the plans for the construction. In another sense, it's the contractor who takes the job on and carries out the plans Yet he doesn't actually build the house, it's the builders, it's the construction workers. But they need materials and therefore they need to be supplied. Each one in his own way builds the house. And that's a similar statement you can say for creation. The father who brought the created universe into existence, but it was the spirit and the son who fashioned it, who carried out the details of the design. Although the creation is from the Father, it is through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. And that is the mystery of the Trinity. In the 4th century, St. Augustine, he argued that God must be a Trinity, for God is love. And before the creation of the world, God must have had someone to love. And someone to convey love. So it follows that there must be three in the oneness of God. So when you think of creation, think of the Trinity, the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's quite a thought. God was a person who loved because he existed as a Trinity. And God has always been able to express his love fully within his own being. And yet God's love was so great that it overflowed beyond his own self. And in love, he created the world and populated it with people in his own image. And in love, God gives the people a choice. Like we read in the first few verses of Psalm 36, you know, people have a choice to love or to hate. And he sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ, to preserve all who believe from the disastrous and eternal consequences 
of the choices they have made. As I was writing this, not the Trinity, I was really getting steeped into the Trinity. There was a knock on the door, and my wife went to uh, answer, and there were two Jehovah's Witnesses. And I thought, well, that just gives me a, a real blessing, knowing that, because they're the very people who deny the Trinity. Two lovely ladies, I've spoken to them many times, and we never quite get over the obstacle of the Trinity. In fact, I go there straight away. I'm not very gracious like that. And I thought, well, you know, that just showed a little sign to me that, so I let my wife talk to them, and um, it's good for the soul, isn't it? Um, and, um, and they're well-meaning, they're nice people, they're no doubt good people, they're sincere. And yet, the, origin, the original sin is denying God. And in a sense, by denying who Jesus is, they're denying who God is. They just don't get it at all. And perhaps it's my explanation which hasn't helped. Because it is sometimes difficult to explain the Trinity. But it says in Romans, For the all knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts became darkened. So even those who think they know God can be deceived. And you could say darkness prevails in their lives. And in Psalm 36, um, the first four verses, David is describing the sinfulness of the wicked and their plotting. And the rest of the psalm is about God's faithfulness, righteousness that we, we, we sang, some of those beautiful songs about faithfulness and righteousness and justice in contrast to the plots of the uh, wicked. And the doctrine of creation means that nothing is made intrinsically evil, so everything comes from God. And the creation narrative says five times that he saw that it was good. God created all things. And that is the most important teaching, one of the most important teachings of the Old Testament and the Bible, that God created all things. Because it establishes that relationship between God and uh, everything else. And when you accept God as creator, you see the world in completely different terms. In Psalm 36 and verse 5 and 6, we see that his steadfast love, or hesed, is translated unfailing love or loving kindness. He reaches to the heavens and his faithfulness reaches to the skies. And of course there's lots of texts in the New, texts in the New Testament like John 1, that 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. In other words, the word is Jesus, Logos, the word, wisdom. 
at the beginning. God spoke through wisdom, through the word. The word was Jesus, right at the beginning. Now, when we're thinking about opposites, sometimes they're evenly matched. Um, you know, take any opposites you can think of tonight. Um, take um, white, the colour white. It doesn't, it doesn't overcome black. Black doesn't overcome white. And the two blend together and, as you all know from our art classes, get grey. Um, in our society, wealth hasn't conquered poverty. I mean, we are the what, fifth richest nation in the world. Come on. <laughs> I was in Brighton yesterday and there were three people within about 60 yards asking for money, homeless, on the, on the floor, asking for money. You know, we have uh, food bins, don't we, at supermarkets, given to the poor. So our great wealth hasn't overcome poverty. And so it goes on laughter and sorrow, disease and medicine. Opposites clash. You cannot predict who will prevail. But light is different. Light is different. And no matter how many experiments you perform, darkness never overcomes light. Click a light switch on, the darkness disappears. Even in a dark cave, miles beneath the surface of Thailand, a small bulb in the headlamp of an English cave diver illuminated the darkness. And we all saw that, didn't we? We all saw how the light prevailed. It brought life to those 12 young boys and their coach. Darkness prevails on the earth when the sun is not shining on it. But as soon as it does, the darkness flees. And the third thing is that God gives light to those who seek him. And that's what Deborah was saying towards the end of her worship, that anyone can receive the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A just God loves the upright in heart. How precious is your unfailing love, O oh God. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your life, in your light, we see light. And elsewhere in John's writings, we see this light metaphor. I remember back in 1989, it was, in Horsham, and I was a member of Trafalgar Road Baptist Church, and it was the last Billy Graham mission. I think it was called Mission 89. Uh, Brighton Road took part, and the churches came together. And there were these, as I remember, these car stickers, life. Do you remember those? And then there were different uh, derivations. There were, um, they used the words letter L-I-F-E, jumbled up. And the idea was, you know, people would say, oh, what does that mean? Then you would say, oh, well, it's to do with life. 
through Jesus, would you like to come along to our meeting? And that's how it, uh, that's how it was supposed to go. And um, that was the sort of, um, the gadget, you know, the, 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 um, the thing that would grab people. And lots of Christians had these life stickers in their, um, in their car windows. Um, Mission 89. Um, John talks about light as righteousness as well. And the point is that God who is light can never be conquered. Can never be conquered. Out of love God created the world and the psalmist speaks of the fountain of life that is the source of all life. And the other psalm, Psalm 18. Yes, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns darkness into life, into light. So the phrase fountain of life gives us a sense of a freshness, isn't it? A fountain of water, a fountain of light. A freshness, both physical and spiritual. And... The light of God enables us to see the world in a different way. It gives us a value system that others don't have. Now, sometimes people say, oh, my neighbours are good people. Uh, They're very kind and generous. And, you know, sometimes they're even friendlier than the people who get in church, (laughs) which is not, not always you want to hear that. And that's not always true, but sometimes it can be. Um... Um, but as Christians, spiritually, we have something your neighbours may not have. And that is a value system based on God as creator and the light of the gospel. So that's what we have. A secret weapon which we can share with other people. Psalm 36. Uh, sometimes... Um, we find in nature something really beautiful. And there's an example of a a French landscape uh, painter, Jean-Baptiste Camille Corot. I'm not very good at French pronunciation, but you may even know him, his works. I don't. I read this somewhere. And he said that he grows angry with his pictures because they're fine in the studio, but then when he goes back in outside and sees the beauty of the, crea- of the creation of the earth, he realises that it is nothing in comparison to God's creation. And when the light of God is shone on something, it puts our standards to shame. It puts our pride to shame. And the psalmist tells us that light in that in his light we see light. For God is light, in him there is no darkness. And evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Mark Twain, the American author, said that everyone is a moon and has a dark side, which he or she should never show to anybody. So If we allow God into our lives, then that darkness can disappear. And the light of Jesus Christ can enrich our lives 
in so many different ways. And where we struggle with decisions and choices, and the light of God can shine into that situation. God's light will always overcome darkness. Now on the news, the American president is often shown, but it was prior to him, other American presidents have commented on on various things, and President Ronald Reagan said that the Soviet Union was the evil empire. But it's not always that easy, is it, to differentiate between evil and good? Because it was President Richard Nixon He tried to keep Watergate a secret because he knew once it was out there what he and his team had done, there was no hope for his administration. And as soon as people found out what happened, their further lies would be impossible. And we know his his fate as president, he was impeached. He wasn't walking in the light And so are the dictators that we see who do not allow the freedom of the press. Do not walk in the light of God's life. When we open ourselves up to him, God can make a difference in our lives. We may not see ourselves as wicked people. I'm sure we don't. But David talks about wicked people in this psalm. But we can glean from this psalm that those dark areas in our lives those fuzzy areas, those blurred areas, like um, um, Mark Twain was talking about, the dark side of our moon, hold us back. But God's light, if let in, can enrich our lives. It's not only about hope after death, it's about a rich and meaningful life here and now. Not so long ago, I was um, going to a meeting. Uh, I was living in Essex at the time, and uh, I took a fellow minister to a meeting in Hertfordshire. And um, as we got into the town, I can't remember where it was now, um, I was not too sure of the way. And I wasn't watching on the speed of my car. And uh, I did notice this uh, horrible yellow um, traffic camera. So I immediately pulled on the anchors and slowed down quite abruptly. But that news for me, there was a policeman in a car behind me. And he flashed me and they pulled me over and um, said, do you know what you've just done wrong? I said, yes, I saw the camera and I put on the anchors and I didn't want to, you know, get caught, basically. And he gave me a ticking off and said, silly boy, on your way. So he was having a, have a, quite a nice day, and my colleague thought it was very funny. Um, I didn't, but, um, but sometimes we see God like the policeman in the car behind us, don't we? That we, um, we get fearful and frightened when we see a policeman. And, we, and the, we have the same thing about God. And having God shine into those dark areas of our lives can make us very edgy, very anxious and fearful. But the Apostle John says that we need not fear or be anxious 
in our relationship with God any more than the policeman in the car behind you. We just wave and smile and we have no fear. God doesn't want to punish us. He wants to love us as long as we open ourselves up to him. It says, verse 10, continue your love to those who know you. So the light of his person protects us. The light of his person will lighten up, will lighten up our paths before us. And just to finish, we know that God is for us and he's with us and we shouldn't fear. There's a story um, I came across a while ago where there was a little boy and he was in the kitchen with his mother and she asked him, she was preparing the supper and she asked him to go into the pantry. Do you remember pantries before we had fridges? Or if you're very wealthy, you've probably got a fridge and a pantry. Um, anyway, she sent him and said, will you go into the pantry and get a can of tomato soup? But he didn't want to go alone because this pantry was quite big and forbidding and dark. <laughs> it's dark in bed. I'm scared, he said to his mother. So she asked him again to go and get the can of soup. And finally she says, oh, it's okay. Jesus will be there with you. And I'm sure we've said things like that to our kids and grandchildren. <laughs> um, so he walks hesitantly to the door and he slowly opened the door and he peeked inside and his sight was really dark and spooky in there and he started to back off. But all at once he had an idea and he opened the door and he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me the can of soup? <laughs> I'm sure that, that's probably the President of the United States now. I'm sure. um, so, but if the message is, if we see, if we trust God, if we say God is light, in him there is no darkness at all, we declare his invincibility. And he loves us, he trusts us with all his thoughts and our confessions. And he banishes darkness. <coughs> Whether it's secrecy, or sin, or rebellion against God, we can't hide from him because the darkness will not withstand his light. But if we want a life which can be overcome, which, which will overcome death, in life, give us life now in all its fullness, then the light of the world is exactly what we need here tonight. As light conquers darkness, and the resurrection life of Jesus conquers the tomb. As Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Billy Graham said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job, the Father, to judge. And it's our job to love through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word in the Old and the New Testament. We confess with our hearts that you are the creator of this world. 
We thank you for the world you've created and we pray that your people will be good stewards of this earth. We thank you for the light and that first day of creation that you created to sustain life. And we thank you for the spiritually, the life of Jesus who gives us the light of the gospel to lighten our paths. So we pray for ourselves and our families and friends and our church congregations that we will always walk in the light and where we stumble and where we, where we fall, you will pick us up because you are our friend, not our foe. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.